Okay, so we are back with the program, and we have a special guest today. Um, I have no idea how to pronounce her last name, <laughs> so maybe she can help me out with that one. Shouldn't you have asked um, me that Brittany, before? Brittany, <laughs> uh, would you mind introducing yourself first with your name and um, and uh, what you do right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, my name is Brittany Van Schravendijk, or that's the American way to say it. The Dutch way would be a little harder. It's um, Van Schravendijk. But I'll, you know, we'll, we'll leave it at the American way to say it is fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm a uh, kettlebell coach here in San Diego, California. Um, I've been competing in kettlebell sport for almost seven years. Um, so I have won a world championship last year. Um, I have several world records left, I think, um, some national records and, um, I do a lot of handstands as well. So, and day job, I guess, more of like personal training, um, online kettlebell coach. So how did you get started in kettlebell sport? Kind of tell us like how you got a, your background in it. Yeah. So I was in college at UC Berkeley. I had been a walk-on onto the track and field team my first year. Um, that was kind of my, my first love in athletics was track and field, but that didn't end up working out. So my start of my third year in college, I actually got an internship at um, Ice Chamber, which as most of you guys know, is you know one of the best gyms in the U.S. for kettlebell sport training. But I, I mean, I didn't know that. I had no idea. I didn't know what a kettlebell was. Um, but I just happened to be lucky and walk into this awesome gym. So, um, I got an internship there and saw the, the female trainers lifting these heavy kettlebells. And I was kind of like, Oh, I, I should be able to do that. And so like, I picked up a bell and I was like, Oh, this is actually really hard. <laughs> tell tell <laughs> but, us about the, um, wh- what the internship was about. What was the, um, cause you were taking engineering, right? Yeah. So, so how did you get an internship? in a gym? Um, well, I was sort of looking for another physical outlet. Like I, I wasn't really loving my studies and kind of felt like I wasn't very like balanced. Like I was doing some workouts on my own, but I kind of missed having a, you know, either a team or a group environment for physical training. Cause I had been on the track and field team just through high school. And, um, so I was just looking at part-time jobs. I kind of felt like I wanted something else to add to my life at the time. And then I just kind of stumbled across this internship. It was on the the UC Berkeley, like career center website um, because the owners of ice chamber Cal alumni. So they would get college students to just help them run like warm ups and help um, help people with form during their classes and stuff like that. So it was just kind of a, I guess a physical outlet for me and, um, something different for my studies. How instrumental was that for shaping you as a coach? Uh, really instrumental <laughs> that changed my path from becoming an engineer to becoming a personal trainer. So it was, it was, uh, like I, I mean, I absolutely love, love, loved working there. It was a really eye opening experience for me and the, the owners, Steve and Maya were really big mentors for me. So it was really, um, it was a really cool time to work there. So when you worked there, were did you kind of just get into kettlebells or did you do the other stuff too? Like, cause they're, they have other components like strength training classes and whatnot. As yeah. Well. I think, I think people get the impression that ice chamber is just like all kettlebell sport all the time, but that's not true at all. I mean, most of the members there do what they're like boot camp classes. So they have a whole range of stuff. And I think now they're even doing a lot of jujitsu stuff. But right. um, yeah, I was, I wasn't totally into the kettlebells at first. I was kind of just, taking a, a bunch of the classes and doing, trying different stuff. I did some power lifting. I would jump into the boot camps and then do try some kettlebells, but it wasn't until um, probably six months or so into working there that I was like, no, like I want to do a competition. Like I want to start competing in this. And was that completely your, your choice or were you uh, kind of pushed into that direction? No, it was, uh, it was my choice. I think even Steve had, he had some kind of like, test for me where he was kind of just like like I said I wanted to do a competition he was like okay yeah whatever and and I was like no I really want to do it and he was like well you have to like sign up for one otherwise I'm I just I'm not sure you're really serious (laughs) (laughs) that that, that reminds me of like uh 
like Batman Begins or movies like that where it's like, oh, I, I don't think you're ready. You need to prove to me that you're ready. I mean, thing. Steve has all kinds of tactics like that. I believe it. I totally believe it. <laughs> so, okay, from there, how did you kind of make the decision to kind of go out on your own or go, go somewhere else to be a trainer? Because you moved from the ice trainer to San Diego, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, like I said, I loved working at ice chamber. However, it, I had lived in Berkeley for like a little over five years at that point. Like when I had decided to move and I just kind of like, I didn't make a ton of close friends in college of friends I did have, like had moved away. Um, there weren't a ton of people at the gym that were my age either. Most of the trainers are, are married and have kids. And right. most of the people at the gym were like a little bit in an older age bracket. So I, I kind of felt a little like socially it wasn't quite like the best environment for me. And, and I lived in my, in the Bay area my whole life. And I kind of just wanted to, to move out somewhere different. So I kind of, I think I had gotten a little bit stuck in a routine in certain ways and, and felt like my life was going to look the same five years from then if I didn't do something. So right. I ended up visiting, um, some friends in San Diego and, and just loving like the environment. And, and it's just so there's so much fitness stuff happening in San Diego. There's so many like well-known fitness people based in San Diego that, um, it was just kind of the right decision at the time. I just, it wasn't necessarily like, Oh, I, I want to go out on my own now. So I'm going to leave. It was, that wasn't really the decision. It was more just like, I want a change. And then it ended up leading to doing, doing additional kettlebell stuff on my own that I, I didn't really expect, I guess. Right. I think too, like, I, I know I've gone through similar things where, you you love the environment that you're in, but you know that you to make improvements in yourself, you have to choose to move on. And it's nothing about the people that you're working with. It's just that you need more diversity. And to do that, you have to leave and go meet new people and get new experiences. And that's only going to build to your skill set. Exactly. So it's a huge advantage to be able to go somewhere else and now learn from a different group of people because it's only going to broaden your skill set. Totally. And I think sometimes we make the mistake of staying too long. Yeah. So I can totally respect why you would want to move on and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So Sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, so what is your main focus now as like a personal trainer or a kettlebell coach? Like where are you directing your main focus currently? It's a good question. Um, I mean, I de would definitely say that a big part of my focus is I would like just more people in general, the general population to learn how to use kettlebells correctly. Because I just right. feel like, you know, there's, there's so much just there's kettlebells everywhere now, but I feel like people still don't know how to use them. So just yeah. trying to help spread that, um, education about kettlebells, uh, is, is a big focus for me. Um, training my kettlebell sport athletes at core strength and conditioning. And then I also have a, a group of athletes that I train online for kettlebell sport. So, um, you know, helping them as best I can. A lot of them, you know, aren't in an area where there is a kettlebell sport coach around. So while, you know, there's some challenges to online coaching, I definitely think in many, many cases, it's much better than having no guidance at all. Right. Yes. Um, cause at least there's some communication and there's video now, which is super helpful. Yeah. And so do, like if people look at your website, it's obvious that you don't just do kettlebell sport. Um, but those who maybe don't check out your website on a regular basis, um, kind of what is your, I guess, uh, this is kind of a tricky way to word it, but, um, like you want to just help people use kettlebells in general. So you're kind of doing general fitness on top of the kettlebell sport. Cause you've kind of got videos for both. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I realize that kettlebell sport is, is a 
very small niche, you know, which is, which is great because it's helped me build a lot of what I've done so far on that because it's such a unique thing that, you know, there's not many other people in the world that could boast the same skills that I have, that I've acquired for kettlebell sport. Um, that being said, I know that it's not something that everybody wants to do. And so, and, um, Therefore, I think it's important to still cater to the people who want to use kettlebells just in general for fitness. And maybe they use some, you know, elements of, of sport type of training. But um, I think that's still a big population. And many people that get just into kettlebell training will naturally gravitate to being curious about kettlebell sport. So it also helps, you know, grow the sport from there as well. Right. Um what I miss? Anything good? <laughs> Everything good. <laughs> Sally had to go answer the door. Someone was at the door. Oh, no. <laughs> Tell them, like, put a sign in your door, like, podcast in session. <laughs> yeah. Do not interrupt <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> um, so what would you say is your the biggest barrier for you? Let's say, like, getting in new clients or directing the clients into these categories of kettlebell sport versus just regular fitness. I guess one of the challenge challenges would be there's, well, I feel like it's kind of, you, you have your in-person training and recruiting clients, and then you have, like, your online training and recruiting clients. And I think while it's great that we have this online avenue to promote ourselves at this point, it's also like just so loud. Like there's so much noise on the internet about, especially in fitness, I feel like about people promoting this or that. And sometimes I just get like, I'm like, I don't even want to try to compete with this. Like, I just don't even like, it just seems so silly to, try to promote super hard, like through social media or Instagram or whatever. Um, so I would say it's kind of a challenge in terms of like, you kind of have to play the game a little to get clients, but then like not really wanting to just waste hours of my life trying to promote myself online. <laughs> you know what I mean? One, yeah. one thing that I, um, had, had come to a realization with was that, I mean, so many of my clients want to ask me for my opinion on things where they could just freely go out on the internet and find information anywhere. But I think the relationship that you develop with your clients where, where they trust you and they want to know what you think, it, it becomes more about what your opinion is rather than maybe what necessarily the facts or the truth is. And so then that does almost then become incumbent upon you to provide your own database of information for you know, mainly specifically your people, but then of course you can make that, uh, you know, publicly available to everybody else. That's, you know, that's the whole YouTube thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I struggled with that at first as well. It's like, why should I do these things when there's so many other people putting out all that content? And then I realized, you know, after so many clients were kind of asking me what my thoughts were and rather than just sending them to me trying to find random videos that I think, you know, kind of fall in line with what I, um, want to try and convey, you know, I may as well just kind of do it myself. That's true. That's, that's a good point. You know, one of yeah. the other things I find really interesting is that, um, and you know, it, it may just speak to my own, um, getting better at, at selling myself as a trainer, but I feel like it's easier for me to sell somebody into online training where they could be paying me upwards of $300 a month for, sending them an online program, then getting somebody to train with me in person. And I'm not sure if this is because, um, I kind of have an on a little bit of an online presence. And then people see like, Oh, she's this good kettlebell lifter, like all the way across the country. And I can train with her versus like somebody in, you know, in the San Diego area, not really knowing anything about kettlebell sport, then coming in and not, seeing necessarily what I would have to offer for them. Um, it's kind of a funny disconnect there. There is a little bit of an allure of that, um, that, uh, the distance does, I think does play a role. I I think there's the allure of something that's, uh, either foreign or, um, uh, maybe foreign is not the right word, but, um, it's kind of like with uh, food as well. People are attracted to things that come from other countries, right? And that's how a lot of things are marketed, you know, try our, 
are, you know, product X only found in, you know, the remotest <laughs> regions of the Amazon, <laughs> right? Well, There's an alert to that. Yeah. I think also, like, you've done such a good um, effort of putting material out there that um, people can spend hours literally reading stuff, right? Yeah. Where um, when they come into the gym, they don't really put effort into, like, researching I don't think coming, they just show up and they want to be told, but if they're going to go online and follow something, they're going to kind of spend some time. Oh, do I want to do this or whatnot? And because you have so much material, I think people kind of feel very special to be able to be like, Oh, Brittany's coaching me because like, even when you showed up at OKC, the, the vibe of some of the people who had to lift on the same platform for you as you, people were so nervous, but I think it's because you you don't walk around like you have this air of celebrity, like you're very humble, but because you have such a great presence on the internet and people spend time looking at it, they're they're scared to kind of say hi or, right? So I think there's also that... There's this weird social dynamic that happens when when people watch someone every day on YouTube and then they, they feel like... They know that person and then they go and meet them in, in real life. And it's like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's kind of become our TV, right? Yeah. So, it's the new reality TV, right? You just watch everybody exactly. on the internet. So I think the fact that you've like, I, I personally am impressed with how much you can put out. Because for me, I'm always like, oh, man, I can't even figure out how to find the time to create a video, edit it and put it online that it's so hit and miss with me but like you every monday you've got your monday workout and everything Thanks. I'm like, i often feel like i'm not putting out enough content like i used to when i first started my blog i feel like i was really like because i started it when i moved to san diego and i also didn't have a job at first so i was just kind of like okay i'm gonna like post all this content on my blog so i i do post the weekly videos but i feel like i've been slacking a little bit on like the blog front so i'm trying to uh now that i redid my website like have that up and going. I'm trying to like be a little bit more diligent about content, but it definitely so is that's tough. a good uh, thread that we can follow. How how did you manage at the start to stay diligent about putting out content, and what are the challenges that you're finding right now? And then, is there an irony to this whole thing where the more popular you get, the less time you feel like you have to put content out? <laughs> well, you probably have more clients. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think at the beginning, I mean, a lot of that motivation was just driven by like. Oh, well, there's, first of all, there wasn't really any blog or website out there putting anything, any information about kettlebell sport on the internet. So I was kind of like, okay, like I could be this source for, you know, just posting some tips with stuff that I've learned and, um, create some place for people to go to on the internet to get more info about kettlebell. So I, I was, I was motivated by that. And, um, especially because that was kind of going to San Diego and knew that like in the fitness world, I mean, it's very competitive here and it's very transient. Like people are constantly coming and going, but kettlebell sport was something unique. I knew that I could leverage. So I think it kind of just was a motivating factor also just, just from a career standpoint and then using that as, you know, a little bit of a resume too. like, Oh, I have this website where I'm kind of established as a source for kettlebell sport information. Um, so I'd say that would be the motive that that was a good enough motivation to, to stay consistent when I started. And now I feel like, I don't know, I guess, I guess I'm not sure how, again, with all the noises out there, I'm like, I don't know how much people really want a blog post every single week, or if that's really like, you know, something that they're, that they're looking for. I felt like I got the most feedback about, Oh, I love the workouts you post every week. So I was like, okay, I'm going to definitely keep that going. Right. Yeah. I feel like you've really laid the groundwork. Like, um, because you put out so much material, all you really need to is probably just keep a little bit going just to keep the website like active and like keep people going to it. But you, you've got so much material on there that you've laid the foundation for people to go and still be able to communicate with you. Like to me, the biggest thing is that you send out those newsletters because that's what I look at is when the, the, when the newsletter comes out. Um, And that just reminds me to go to your website or go to your YouTube channel when you've got new material that I want to look through. I'm like, that's good to know because I kind of been toying with the idea of putting out like a, a monthly 
new kettlebell sport kind of like newsletter thing where keeping people up to date with like what's going on or like what events are happening or like what athletes Instagram profile to look at or something. But I just haven't really, you know, I think it's a great idea. I was just thinking this morning, I was like, like for a short period of time, the AKA had a little newsletter that was going out, but then it's kind of disappeared and it we're so spread out. It would be is nice. Their, is that their GS Planet one? Yeah, the GS Planet. It would be nice if, like, there was something just to keep everyone kind of in the loop. Like, yeah, people kind of creep each other's profiles and everyone's friends on Facebook, but there's nothing really, like, highlighting all the various competitions or anything. And um, Yeah, somebody, somebody be... had suggested I put, like, a calendar on my website with um, all the different, like, kettlebell events that people yeah. could submit to. Which would be kind of cool, but it would yeah. kind of rely also on people like telling me about their events. Cause at this point, like there are so many, this is a, the, yeah. the challenge I've run into with keeping records on my website is like, I'm not really sure my records are accurate anymore because it's, I used to go just check all the events and just go through the result list. But at this point there's just, because I've expanded it to multiple organizations and then there's so many events happening all over that it's really hard to actually keep track of it all. So that, that kind of was one of my questions. How do you feel about all these different kind of associations popping up? No, I'm kind of curious because, because we don't get to talk to Brittany very often. So hearing someone from somewhere else, like, do you think it's about money or do you think it's about the rules or do you think about power? (laughs) Is that what you think it is? Is it about power? I think it just, for some reason, there's just like these very strong opinions of exactly how things should be run. I feel like, and people just keep, it just seems like certain people just keep butting heads and they're like, well, I'm just going to go off and start my own thing. Like, bye, instead of trying instead to work of, together, I guess, because there are so there are multiple orgs already that they're like, well, what's another one, right? Just like, yeah, split off and, and do it my own way. Where and and part of the reason I bring this up is so for our competition, we're probably not going to affiliate with anyone. We're just going to run a competition. Mm-hmm. Um, it means that we're not going to have a ranking system. So I don't know if that will affect people, whether they come to the competition or not, because really what matters on the platform is, are you performing better than what you did last time? Are you making improvements? Does it yeah. really matter? Especially for those people who get rank, they might not move on from the bell because they've got a goal of 200 snatches, but they only had to do 110 to get rank. So does rank really matter for a competition? Um, at the same time, I, it matters for official historical records within the association, which at the current moment in time, I think, I, I mean, there's not really any of that really in existence i mean i'm sure the iukl has records and stuff like that and they keep track but um, they do but they don't post them on the internet um even the ckas that position was taken uh over by someone who's not even a uh, figurehead in the cka and then um the aka i think Brittany, you started to spearhead that whole thing so yeah i mean at this point i feel like the organization like what are the organizations offering that besides having a ranking table that would, you know, make people be like, Oh, I want, I want my event to be under this organization as opposed to like you said, why not just run it yourself? You know, because at this point there's not a big enough benefit. It's not incentive. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, is like, so I honestly, when we go, we choose our competitions. Right now, we're focusing our competitions on our clients. So where do our clients want to compete? That is where we're going to go. So it's mainly local. So we're going down over to Vancouver, down to Seattle. Well, every single competition is a different federation, whether it is Cat Academy, IKFF. um, We've got some CKA events around in this area. So everyone is different. The rankings are different. The weight classes are different. The biggest thing to me, and I'm I'm like, uh, do I weigh in over or under? And I don't even know. And like one competition... 
it was IKFF and Cat Academy. So I made one weight class and I didn't make the other <laughs> because there were two different ranking tables. Yeah. That it's so confusing yeah. that I kind of stopped paying attention and I'm just more like, okay, I'm going to show up at the competition. I want to hit 180 today. That's my goal. And I think that's kind of what, it, at least for me, that's what it's coming down to is like not even paying attention to who is associated to who. I, I just want to compete. I think that changes also, you know, the longer you've been in the sport, I feel like when you're, when you're a beginner, you're kind of looking for some guidance and looking for like, well, how, how do, do these competitions go? Like I'm yes. looking to somebody to, to show me what this looks like and what I need to do and what happens, you know, and, and, Ooh, I can get a rank, you know, like I can use this ranking table to help me. And then the longer you're in the sport and you realize that there's seven different organizations and, and it's all kind of slightly shifted and ranks don't matter as much to you. Cause you want to do higher than that. It's like your perspective just kind of changes, you know, and I don't, unfortunately, I don't think, any organization thus far has totally gotten it right in terms of like how they're running things and what they're offering the people who are hosting and the lifters. Um, so that's kind of, I think been the challenge. Yeah. So, and part of the reason I went in this direction with my questions was you had briefly mentioned at OKC that you and maybe some other people are trying to coordinate a circuit of uh ke- kettlebell events is that correct yes and it was not my idea i definitely cannot okay. take credit for that it was um john buckley's idea from okc oh, okay so he was trying to um just get all of us who are in california who are kind of hosting the big events in california to be on the same page and to offer you know events that are spread out enough through the year that you know, we can all support each other's events in some way. And he, right. he even, even wanted to have the different events have different, like, um, different focuses. Like for example, uh, Mike Labou is hosting an event in at the end of this month. That's a long cycle championship. And then I do, I do remember seeing that. I do kind of like that. Idea. Yeah. And then the NorCal event in August is supposed to be kind of focused on like the five minute triathlon. Um, but that's kind of as far as it's been established thus far. Like we don't really have an exact focus for our competition in San Diego. It just kind of has all the events or at least it has so far. Um, so, but that was kind of his idea. And he's, he's like, we have, you know, a lot of the best lifters in the world are in California. Like we just want to set up a circuit so that people like, if they want to compete, they have to come out to California and, you know, show their show their skills and beat the lifters in California if they really want to prove that they're the best. I I like that idea. That's neat. So, um do do they have a calendar for that or is it kind of just you guys are kind of trying to f- figure out the kinks right now? Well, we or? kind of have our the, the major events are kind of set so we have February is Cali Open, right. May is Long Cycle Championships, um August is like the event an event in NorCal and then um I can't remember if there's gonna be another one, but then we have ours in San Diego in December. So those are kind right. of like the main ones. And then we had um we had like me and Mike Salemi hosted the Silicon Valley comp, but that was not gonna happen this year. I'm not sure if Mike is planning to do it again next year. But if so that one might be like more September, October or something like that. And are they thinking about incorporating like a point system or anything to encourage people to go to all of these events? Are they? Um, Originally, I think it was set up that they would kind of be like WAKSC events. So then you would get points maybe towards the Grand Prix if they're part of it. But now I don't really know what's happening with all of that since um, Dennis is no longer really part of that. So... Oh, okay. Yeah. Was he kind of a big um, influencer in that? Uh, well, he was pretty much running the whole calendar for WAKSC, but now he's starting his own organization, which is IKO. So I oh, think okay. he, I think that might just kind of shift to being what IKO is doing. I'm, I'm not totally sure. Oh, I originally interpreted that he was actually um, 
OKC, like he was affiliated with the OKC, so that he was a misinterpretation. No, he is. He, I mean, he moved to California last year, so he's um, he's a coach, like the head kettlebell coach at OKC now. Um, okay, but uh, I mean, OKC has. I think they've always used Ket Academy ranking tables, so yeah. they've always kind of been affiliated with WAKSC. Right. Um, so. Yeah, because OKC, they don't have, like, their own ranking table. Um, it, I mean, you think they're usually, like, okay, it's an OKC event, but it might be governed by WAKSC or now, I guess, IKO. Right. See, it gets confusing. Uh, <laughs> yes. Brittany, what's the percentage of your um, lifters at your gym who actually participate in kettlebell competitions? Like, the ones who are taking the kettlebell sport classes, what percentage of them are actually competing? Um, most of the people who are in the class compete, I would say all of them have at least competed once. So we, we have right now it's been a little bit slower after, uh, worlds. Some people kind of either take a break or focus on something else for a while, but typically like leading up to worlds, we probably had about 15 people training. And I think, what do you find is their consistency like, um, in the year? So how many competitions are they actually doing throughout the year? Is it one? Is it five? Um, good question. It's probably two to three. Um, some of the people, like we have some people that are like the diehards on the team and they're, they're doing, you know, all the, all the local comps and they're just like, every single me, one. Give me, give me more. Let, if there's a competition, put me in it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, do you find that there is a, um, an optimal frequency for some people. So I, we did a open, uh, well, sorry, an in-house, um, standard competition. Uh, when did we do that? April? April. Yeah. In April. And that was following, that was four months after our last one. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I thought that that was kind of long. Mm-hmm. of a of a break for a lot of people they kind of felt like they didn't have as much direction in that in in between Goal those setting. two things that they maybe wanted but at the same time um after we wrapped that up i i said okay well we'll switch the in-houses to every two months but then we got really into the idea of doing a pentathlon of our own so i was like okay well we'll put the pentathlon right in the middle and what i found was that there were a lot of people who were like one month is not enough enough time in between yeah oh okay yeah that's the impression i'm getting though yeah do you find that with some with some of your lifters do you find that there's like uh some people are like really skittish about like having a month or or less or what's that like um luckily a lot there's a there's a core crew of people that are super dedicated that will come to class whether or not there's a comp coming up but i do think like you said if it's too far apart spread too far apart um there's not as much motivation for people to stay consistent because they don't have a, a goal right right up ahead of them to work for. So, I mean, I feel like every three months is great to have a comp, um, you know, with some different focus during class. Like maybe maybe we're not training for that comp for all 12 weeks. Maybe it's, you know, eight or 10, but yeah. um, keeping a certain focus in class. So maybe we're still training like we're getting ready for a 10 minute long cycle set even if you know there's not actually a comp we still do like saturdays oftentimes have a long set so you know we'll have a 10 minute set somewhere in there that they have that they know they're training for so it's still giving them some some goal because i could see you know people people aren't as likely to stay on track if it's too far out like you said do you find it's hard for some of your people to recognize the value in uh, consistent, dedicated training where, you know, the progress isn't necessarily as um, obvious in some respects? So especially if you have people coming who are looking to, say, lose weight, you know, in the fitness industry that, uh, you know, a, bu- a good bulk of our clients are, are going to come to us for the purpose of managing their weight or managing their health. And those types of um, improvements aren't really that obvious and i think that's why i think it's important to push um strength and skill and sport aspects because we can start to really see the um the progress so is it 
do you have some people who who you have to kind of nudge every now and then and, and kind of remind them that, you know, we you started here and now you're here. And, yeah, we have this big gap in here where it, it it's you maybe not training for something specific. But the fact that you come in, you know, X times a week and and we're, you know, adding this much each time, you know, hopefully you can see that progress. Do you find that challenging? I think that um, fortunately, I've kind of established that culture within the kettlebell sport class. And there's enough people in there who have been training kettlebell sport now for at least two to three years. And um, what I love seeing about the class is there's certain things that I've put out there or told them or kind of drilled into their head in terms of like how, how kettlebell sport training goes and how progress works. And a lot of times I'll see the people, you know, the, the kind of OGs of the class will kind of sprinkle these things to the new people. Like they'll go over and chat with them at the end of class and be like, you know, it, it takes a while to make, make this kind of progress in here, but you got to keep looking at, you know, your technique is making these gains or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's definitely established a little bit into the culture. And I would say it's definitely something that, you know, every class I'm kind of checking in with, with, each member of the team on their tech whatever point of technique we're working, what's their pace for their set? How did they feel on this versus last week? And kind of, you know, those check-ins, I feel like I'm able to like, that's great. You know, that's, that's a great progress from last week, or, you know, that's exactly where we need you to be right now. And, um, keep reminding them of, you know, the progress that they either have made or how they're going to keep progressing moving forward. Can you give us an example of a moment that you had with a um, a client or uh, even a close friend where you felt like you needed to pull them aside and give them a heart to heart on, you know, where they're at, where they're going and uh, and help them along on their journey? I mean, I before before the world's competition, I had all of them fill out um this sheet that I have on like mental training for kettlebell sport. And they had to fill out the sheet on like, um, you know, what they think about during their set, how could they improve it, make a plan for their competition set. And I mean, I just set up a time to meet with all of them. And I feel like during those meetings, we just talked about, you know, what, what things they feel might be holding them back or what things they would need to, um, to do to improve, especially with regards to the mental portion, which, you know, can be maybe a little bit more challenging to talk about because normally in class, we're just talking about the training, the physical training, the physical training versus a lot of times it's, I feel like the mental aspect of it, that's, that's holding people back. Um, I don't know if I really answered your question with that, but (laughs) I I actually really like that idea. Um, I was just with my weightlifting team on the weekend and we had a a task of, um, guessing, um, the total team total. So everyone's totals topped on top of each other. What would it be? And, um, I said to a couple of the people I said, you know, we're all assuming that everyone's going to PR and we're not really considering, um, people's mental states. And one of the girls said, Oh guys, why'd you have to say that? Like, I'm, you know how I am when it comes to like my mental capacity, but that kind of answered it, right? Like she knows that she goes into competitions, not a me- exactly mentally focused or whatever it is something's throwing her off so that kind of um exercise would be really good to prepare the coach even Mm -hmm. to just make sure that you're with that person getting them on the right mindset to really be able to because you see that like you see especially when you see lifters lift several times you start to see their pattern the person who overthinks the set or um they just have one bad insertion and you know, it's going to go down from there where you can get other athletes and you'll be like, it's okay. Next one's a brand new one. Insert deep and and they're back on track. So yeah, I I definitely like that. um, Several of the athletes that have been training with me for, for a few years now, there's definitely certain 
challenges that I know, you know, continue to come up for them on the platform or certain patterns or habits or little things that are hard for them to get past. And so, you know, we've had many conversations still work in progress, you know, on trying to figure out exactly why that happens. How can we strategize a way to try it differently next time? Um, and I mean, I think it's really fun element of coaching and so, so crucial and something that, um, is not talked about enough in, in kettlebell sport, especially is the mental aspect. Cause I feel like it's, it's 90% mental. You could be as physically prepared as, as anyone and, and just fail on the platform if you don't think about, you know, how you're going to respond in the competition situation. Yeah, no, I, I find it so intriguing, but I think it's partially because it's part of my work. So I get really excited when it comes to the psychology. It's of so it. important, though. I mean, I, I feel like so much is. of coaching. Yeah, you can you can write a great program. But if you're if it's a competitive thing, you know, you you have to address the the mental part, because some people just, you know, some people just get anxiety going into a competition. Yeah. So have to- I think it really separates people. Like you can have two athletes that can do the exact same thing, but the person with the mental strength is going to be the one that wins. Yeah, exactly. And of course it's, it's interrelated with physical training because, you know, that's part of building a good program is also instilling confidence in, in the lifter. You know, if you, if you have a coach that just absolutely crushes you every training, you never feel like you win at your training session, then you're, you're probably not going to go into the competition feeling so great depending what type of person you are. But, you know, I feel the the training really should bolster confidence in in many ways. Yes, of course it should challenge you and push you, but it should also build confidence. Yeah. Oh yeah. We, um, after our last in-house, a few people commented that they didn't even realize like how the training was helping them improve until they did their test set. And then they were blown out of the water about what they were capable of of the one girl had like a 30 rep pr and she was just blown away wow um that's awesome yeah and like i don't even think she even really like understands like how big of a pr that is because then we have another client who he's like oh i only got two more and i was like that's still big but it's only two but it's an improvement it was a a 45 rep pr it was a 45 that's huge yeah huge that's yeah. awesome. She only comes like once a week, but yeah. she, you can tell that she, um, like I sold her a kettlebell as well and I gave her some programming and stuff to do at home. Um, and you can tell that she, she thinks about it and she practices it. So, yeah. And that's a, a big difference. You know, the, for, the training can be pretty straightforward in terms of, you know, as at, at this point, um, as trainers, you know, we know how to put together a program that follows the basic concept of, um, uh, progressive overload or uh, not necessarily overload but um uh building with, the set. with yeah building the set with our sport in particular there we have to pay attention to conditioning um elements and uh and and the time dependent elements um but uh it's it's really the mark of a good coach who can identify the weaknesses in someone's game and and then take that weakness and give their uh athlete direction on how to improve that uh weak link to then help them uh go uh, to improve beyond there because i mean you can just keep banging your head against the wall and just doing the sets over and over again but if you're not really doing it with the intent and the focus as to what exactly part of that because uh, I like to be very segmental with my um, kettlebell training in that okay we're some of you have trouble with this part so we're going to focus on that part and I really try to address those things yeah I mean I think that the other thing is you could write you could write the best program in the world but you know most of us are coaching people who are doing kettlebell sport for fun and for fitness, um, at least in my case, all the people that are training with me on the team here are, you know, they have their regular jobs, they have their families, they have their lives outside of kettlebell, they want to drink beer on the weekend, whatever, you know, and so being, <laughs> you can write the perfect program, but you also have to be able to adjust it based on, you know, how that person is feeling that day or what else they have going on in their life or, yeah. you know, and sometimes it's about just doing the best they can to be prepared, probably not going to all go exactly according to plan, right? They're coming in tired this one day, they skipped that other day with that really important set or whatnot. So I feel like it's, you know, there's, 
there's only so much you can do with regards to that. You know, if you don't have people who are just solely dedicated to being an athlete, which is rarely the case. When, when we talk about um, helping clients with the, the challenges of training and balancing that with life, um, that seems to be the common denominator when we, when we have this dialogue. But at the same time, there's the other side of the coin where you do have some people who are, you know, they're, they're go time all the time. And you have to help them improve from the opposite direction where sometimes you have to pull them back and get them to focus a little bit more and work a little bit less. Do you ever have those? Um, do you have those clients? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's, there's so many clients like that, you know, and I've definitely been guilty of that kind of thing myself. And just trying to remind them that, you know, less, less is more in some ways, you know, I definitely have, there's a few people on the team that like to do, you know, just tons and tons of workouts and just have to remind them that like, Hey, you know, that's, that's fine if you want to do that, but just know how that is probably going to affect your training. You know, it's going to, you know, you're not going to probably be where you want to be if you're tired and you, you don't have the energy and the, the focus to really, you know, think about your technique and be really careful with every rep and make sure that you're, you know, being, being diligent about your specific training. And it's, it's one thing to, to go into like an overreaching phase, but I feel like there's, you know, quite a number of people who feel like they, every workout has to be their overreaching phase. Mm -hmm. And if you just keep pummeling yourself deeper and deeper into the ground there, you know, there's, there's consequences for that. Don't I know Especially (laughs) if we're planning for something that's in the future. Um, You know, it gets harder and harder to, uh, you know, quote peak for that moment when you just keep pushing yourself further. Well, that's also, I think what's hard about kettlebell sport is there's not currently much of a season for kettlebells. It's just like, no, people just want to train kettlebell sport all year round. And I'm like, you know, that's probably not the best idea. You, you also like, I've definitely had that challenge myself is just wanting to go to all the comps. Oh, I want to go to that comp. Oh, but then I want to go to that comp. So I go one from, from one training cycle, right to the next. And you just, you can't, you can't peak five, six, seven times a year. You just, it doesn't work that way. You know, you have to choose the ones that you want to do really well at and then be okay with, you know, having an okay performance at the other ones if, if you want to compete there. Well, and I don't even, I, I think sometimes um, people don't realize, like I just went through a phase where I actually cut back on kettlebells, mainly because I was focusing on weightlifting. I was saying to Sully right before the weightlifting competition, I can't wait to get back into kettlebells. But it, like it, like they say, absence makes the heart grow fonder. It's totally one of those things. Like I love kettlebell sport, and when I took it away from myself, it makes me only want to do it more. Right. So I think that. And that's where tapering back, even having lighter sets, then you crave the heavier sets. Because when I was training for National and Worlds last year, I was saying to Sally, like, I cannot lift the 24 anymore. I am so done. Like, you get tired of it because your body just can't take it. And then you taper back, you train lighter, and then you come back up and you're like, okay, this is so much better, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we always go like when I write out the programming for the team, we always go back down and wait before we move back up. And, you know, I, I always get a couple people that kind of like grumble and complain about it. And I've explained to them many times why we do it and what the reasoning is behind it. But some of them will still kind of complain about it, but you know, you just can't train with the heavy weight for so long. Like you said, both mentally and physically just burns you out. Yeah, definitely. Well, that was all my questions. Do you have any questions? Are we out of time? Uh, No, we got a little, a couple more minutes. Um, well, you put me on the spot. I was, I was, I was going to be like, I was going to be ready with a question. I was like, no, I'll just let Rachel go on. And then I just um, oh, yeah. So, so on this thread that we've just been talking about with the competitions and, and, you know, you can't be going hard and heavy all the time. Actually, when we first got into the culture uh, some time ago now, um, I remember uh, a moment when Rachel said to me, we may have been, it, it, I, I think it was when we went to um, San Francisco to 
to the the first time that we went to the West Coast Kettlebell Classic, you start to identify lifters with you know the the weight that you kind of know them as being good at lifting and so you know with the ice chamber girls you know they're kind of known for lifting the 24s and stuff like that um and then same thing with male pro lifters you know we know them as you know they lift the 32s and stuff like that and so we start to identify them with with that with those uh, capacities but then when we see them hop on the platform with anything lighter than that it's like oh is there something wrong what's wrong with them is it like why are they why did they drop down and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it, it, and I just remember the comment you made about that. Yeah, I remember. Um, I think it, it might have been at Ice Chamber, but I think it might have been the second time we went. And I think Jessica lifted the 20 instead of the 24, maybe something like that. Something like that. And I was like, why is she doing that? But I didn't really understand what the heavy bells did yet because yeah. I was just starting out and I was lifting the 12 and the 16. So, like, I think most people when they begin with the 8 12 and 16 you think you can do it all the time every time mm-hmm. right and then you can when you get beyond yeah and when you get beyond that it's not the same yeah so i think like now i get it because i lift down because yeah. i will say oh you know i think this time i should lift the 16 okay next time we'll go the 20 um and you have to. You definitely and have you, to. You see it with with Dennis too. Like Dennis will will go down and lift twenty fours, even though it's like ridiculously easy, easy for him. He just if he he's not ready to lift thirty twos all the time, and he he can't. You know, otherwise he would yeah. just totally burn himself out. That's the same with Charlie. That, that, Charlie yeah. kind of pulled back twenty fours, came up to the twenty uh, eights, then he dropped back down to the twenty four. He's coming back from a, a long hiatus, and yeah. yeah, it goes to show the the importance of foundation, um, foundation. But you know the 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 purpose of the progression and the training, it it helps you get to that level, but that doesn't mean that that's sustainable or that's you know. Oh yeah, and honestly, the immense toll that professional weight takes on your body because I just yeah you know from training double twenty four is like. If I'm training double 24s, I can barely do anything else. And I'm training them three days a week, which some people might not think is that much. But it was literally like I just had to completely rest in between days. And maybe I would do yoga and like a couple other days to try to balance out and and stay like more flexible. But besides that, it would just be like I like if I do a workout in between, like I won't be able to complete the next training both right. physically and just mentally going into it, feeling like, Oh, maybe I'm a little too sore or too tired for this training. Then it was just like mentally would just crush me before I even started the workout. Cause it just requires so much focus and every rep has to be there. My, my reaction actually was, Whoa, she was doing that three times a week. <laughs> so you, you spent all three workouts on the 24. You didn't have one that was with the twenties or anything. Um, typically how Dennis programs is you, like you start from the lighter weights and then work up. So the last three to four weeks would be 24s. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So no, not, yeah. not 24s the whole time, but it would be like three days a week. We started, you know, either 12s or 16s, depending on where we're at and then go through, you know, the certain amount of trainings with each weight, depending how much time there was before moving the 24s. So before right. I did my first 10 minute set of 24s. Um, it, I had only done, I think, six or seven minutes with 24s. Right. Before, before I did the comp. Damn. <laughs> but that was also like really slow pace, too. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> yeah. In my mind, that might be a little more painful for me, like sitting in the rack. Um, do you try to get people out of the habit of thinking about a competition as a chance to PR or a chance to test themselves? Because we've been we've been talking about um, you can't be peaking all the time, but at the same time, doesn't mean that you can't do a competition. Yeah, um, I think and, I think it depends. Like some, a lot of my students are also still in more of the beginning phases. So I only have a couple, maybe two, two of the ladies who are lifting, you know, 16 added like a, a, a fast pace or going into twenties and then, um, one or two guys lifting 24. So it's not, 
maybe quite the same because they haven't, yeah. not all of them have reached that level where they've kind of hit a challenging plateau yet. Some of them are still, you know, maybe they've switched lifts. So they were snatching with the 12 and now they're doing long cycle with the 12s, which is a little different than, you know, if they're, they've been consistently competing with 16s for the ladies or, you know, 24s for the guys or something like that. If you could tell kettlebellers one thing, what would it what? be? Oh, come on. Give it, get a little more specific than <laughs> well, that. Well, <laughs> like, for athletes competing, like, what would you tell them one thing before they would go up on the platform? Oh. Hmm. <laughs> Don't screw up. <laughs> <laughs> I would probably just tell them to, like, like stay like stay calm like stay and stay especially if it's a doubles 10 minute set i feel like it's so much more important to stay at a pace where you feel like you can stay mentally composed for a good portion of the set than to go out the gate with an exact pace and number in mind and just like you know get right to it and just you know stay right on that pace the whole time because i feel like a lot of times that mentally just crushes people because as soon as they miss one rep okay now i'm off and then they either try to speed up to make up for it and then they die or you know they start falling behind because they mentally kind of you know got in their own head right yeah stay calm Um, breathe yes (laughs) that's what i was thinking breathe (laughs) do you think that a lot of overcoaching happens on game day I feel like the people who need coming back to your comment with um, helping people with those little mental challenges that happen while they're doing their set. um, I think it's more important for the inconsistent lifters to have someone there in their corner to kind of remind them of things. Yeah. But you know, we try to have the training lead them up to that day, and then once you're there, it's like either you got it or you don't. Yeah. I mean, I I think of it that way is that on game day, there's not really much that I can do anymore. Everything has already been done. So I think it's, you know, more important to just check in. And I, I try to ask my lifters before the comp, like several weeks before or a week or two before I say, Hey, you know, let me know what you would like me to cue you on the day of, or let me know what you want at the comp. Do you want me to give you a pep talk? Do you want me to count your reps? Do you want me to not say anything? Do you want me to, whatever you want me to do, just let me know. Cause I've definitely been guilty of over coaching people before and having them get like kind of pissed at me either during their set or after <laughs> just kind of like, shut up. Like I'm saying too much, you know, or it's overwhelming for them. So well, at this point I try to just, I ask them beforehand, Hey, do you want me to say anything during your set? Do you want me to cue you? And some of them do. And some of them don't. It's so funny because people are very, very different. Like I literally look for Sully in the crowd. Like I'm like, where is he? And I just want him to even just nod at me to be like, yep, everything's good. Just, just, just find where the reflection of the lights is bouncing off of (laughs) where he, like, I remember at worlds, I was like, do you want me to say anything? And he literally was like, do not say good job to me during my set because he's like I don't need that but but what he wanted when he did start to slow down was to be reminded to be quick and snappy so like he doesn't want me to sit there and be like good job good job because he doesn't care yeah but well I asked you to give me the reps of the other guy didn't I yes that was it. <laughs> I couldn't see them from the, the competitive edge was coming out a little bit so I was supposed to yell what everyone else had on the platform <laughs> Hey, everybody needs something different, you know, and people are motivated by different things. Like we talked about before, some people will thrive on the day of the competition and they, maybe it doesn't even matter what anyone says. And when people cheer at the end, it will only motivate them to go faster. And then there's people who, who kind of get anxiety about the competition and they don't want ton of people yelling at them and they maybe don't want any cues at all or they need some reassurance just some little things to remind them to focus on a certain part of their technique so i feel like that's so individual you know and it's really important i think as a coach to 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 realize that and check in with with people and see what what do they what actually would be most helpful to them yes definitely all right um let's wrap it up uh we've taken a bunch of your time and uh, we really appreciate it though uh, yeah this has been um 
really informative, uh, not only as coaches, but also to get to know you a lot better, Brittany. Um, and I hope that our listeners have taken a lot uh, away from this uh, episode as well. Yes, yeah, it's been super fun. Thank you guys so yeah, much for thank having you, me on. Have a good day. Thanks. That was quick. <laughs> yeah. Hey, aren't you going to tell them to check out my website or something? Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. What's yeah? Wait, I keep forgetting to do that. Yeah. Where can people find you? Um, my website kbfitbrit.com has um, weekly workouts and lots of tips and info about kettlebell sport, including um, national world records, as well as um, you can find me on YouTube, Brittany Van Travendijk, or just look up kbfitbrit. I'm on Instagram as well and Facebook. So KB Fit Brit is usually the, the way to find me. And what about Instagram? Same, same handle? Yep, KB Fit Brit. Okay. Any uh, interesting pro- projects in the work right now before we let you go? Um, I'm actually working on a really exciting project with Kettlebell Kings. I can't really say more about exactly what it is, but stay tuned for that. Cool. Is this like you could tell us, but you'd have to kill it? Yes. Yes, that. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, fair enough. Again, we appreciate your time and uh, have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You guys too. Have a great day.